So uh, your speaker last week, John Christensen, he's about three times my size. Um, I understand he went over by a lot, like 45 minutes. So I have a timer here. And the next time you see John, I want you to tell him that I actually can stay within the assigned time. That's your, that's your job. Um, so today we're going to talk about money or finances. Um, at one level, it's much more straightforward because you're not talking about some more complex things that might be interwoven in your relationship. But at another level, it does get a little bit interesting. So first, if we haven't met, here's my, is that working? I can't see what's up there. Okay. This is my clan. Um, we've been married, Christine and I have been married 24 years last October. The best, you know, 18 years of my life, as they say. Um, so I work here at Grace. I work with our adult ministries. So men's, women's, family ministry, uh, and a few others. Christine also works here. Uh-oh. Did it cut out? I don't know. We don't have to have a PowerPoint deck. That's fine. Um, so she works here as well, and she uh, is, the joke behind the scenes at Grace is, if you can only hire, is it? I just had to walk up here. <laughs> okay. Well, now it's not on my screen at all, so I'll just, I'll just hit down and see what happens. Um, if you can only hire one Erickson, you should hire Christine. Everyone agrees on that. So Christine uh, leads our one less child at risk, so that deals with foster care, adoption, uh, children at risk, and that kind of stuff. So, and then we have four kiddos. Uh, the older two are both in college, and the younger two are a, fresh, a junior in Chan High and a eighth grader at Chaska Middle School. So we're a little less busy than we used to be, and we have, it's this point in our lives where we sleep in. Uh, we go to bed earlier than our kids, uh, and I'm so old I can't sleep in anymore. So that's just kind of how it works. This is awesome. It works, and I can't see. All right, so let's talk about money. Um, oh, see, I can't. No, it's all right. I can just read what's on the screen. So with money, again, at one level, it's a big deal. Because we all need money to do things like have a place to live, cars to drive, insurance, food, insurance, pay for your kids. Pay for your kids' braces. Like money is a thing, so it's a big deal. On another side, money really isn't that big a deal. Uh, at the end of the day when our life is done, we don't get to take any of it with us. And our provider, God, is the best provider on earth. So he makes sure that we have what we need. So we live in this tension between I feel like it's a really big deal but ultimately, it kind of isn't that big a deal because God's going to come through for us. So that's kind of what we have to deal with uh, week in and week out. The other interesting thing is I did some, like, internet Google searching and looked for, like, statistics for why people get divorced in America in 2021. So I found about 10 sites that seem to be pretty legit in terms of their stats. So I'll read a quote to you. Uh, well, so of these 10 uh, lists of reasons for divorces in 2021, money makes a top five in almost all of them, makes a top three in most of them. So there is something where it can be, be, get to be sticky in your relationship. One quote said this, according to divorce statistics, the final straw reason for divorce is lack of compatibility in the financial arena and causes almost 41%. So it is something that if you guys are on the same page and, and decide to organize your finances in a way that honors God and is it a compromise with one another, then life is good. But if it's not right and it's a constant grind, uh, then it gets really difficult. So statistics, you'll have to read them yourself because I can't read backwards. Um, the, the Bible talks about money a lot, and I think that's a good thing. One of the reasons why, just my personal opinion, why I think it comes up a lot in scriptures is this. Of all the small g gods that we are tempted to put our trust in, I tend to think money is at the very top of the list. And here's why. When we, have, when we feel like we have the resources we want and we have some money in the account and the house is doing okay and I got a decent job and I see the bonus coming and my portfolio is performing well, there's a sense of security. Like if something happened, we would be okay. 
Uh, when you lose your job and the market is down and the savings is gone, it's like, oh my goodness. When, when I went through a, a stint where I didn't have a job, after my severance ran out, I got to the point in my mind, it wasn't healthy, where I was calculating, okay, we can go this many more months, and then our savings gone. And then we go this many more months, and all my retirement's gone. And then we sell the house, and we move in with my in-laws, and my life is over. Like, your mind starts to think about, this is super stressful. And yet, we know God's not going to drop the ball. So the reason, one of the reasons why I think it's talked about, money is talked about a lot in Scripture is because we have a tendency to put our confidence there. So as you can see, it's mentioned in a ton of verses throughout the Bible. It's mentioned by Jesus a bunch of times. Um, and what's the one in the middle? More than prayer and something combined. So it's a big topic, and it's important that we get this right. I think the good news is that it's actually not that hard to get it right to be honest with you, if you're diligent and you, and you align your heart with God's purposes. So we're going to zip through eight things. Uh, I did put the fill in the blank in my message to, to next year. So who are the people that have to fill in every blank? Yes, you can be at peace. And I think the answers are in the back of your, um, the back of your workbook if you need it. Okay, so always communicate, uh, number one. So the idea here is you guys need to get on the same page and then stay on the same page. And that's actually a little bit harder at times than you would think. And, and here's how I would encourage you to do that. Take some time. You could do it now. You could do it later. But really have some conversations around what are your hopes, financially speaking, what are your fears, and what are your expectations. If you can get on the same page on those three things, life will go pretty well for you. What are my hopes, what are my fears, and what are my expectations? And here's how it works. Probably one of you in the relationship leans more towards being a spender and the other one leads towards being a saver. So who are the savers? You know, you think you're better. Just own it, okay? And the persons that are the, sa the spenders, the fun ones? Yes. Oh, Leah's the spender, huh? Okay. Every now and again, couples are the same. Do you have any that are the same? You both are either savers or spenders? Anyone? Anyone? So you're both spenders? Oh, I'm glad we're friends. You could spend on us. Uh, so anyhow, so there's a dynamic there where usually you're opposites, so that creates a certain amount of tension. But to me, the real uh, tension is how you were raised and, and what life was like for you growing up. So some folks come from a very affluent scenario. Other people come from a difficult scenario. And all of a sudden you're married and all those experiences, those expectations and those hopes and those fears start to come alive. And if you can't articulate that with your spouse-to-be and then land on the same page, it will constantly create frustration. So one of the quotes, I think it's on there. Christina and I stumbled into this because uh, we were not on the same page with many expectations. So we do our best to not hold the other person accountable for expectations that we haven't communicated or agreed to. And when we live by that, whether it's about money or other things, it saves a whole lot of heartache. So I can get to a point where I'm like, hey, I'm frustrated. Something didn't happen. Okay, did we actually talk about that or is that just an expectation that I had that we never talked about and never agreed to? So get on the same page and then stay on the same page would be the first one there. All right, number two, surround yourself with trusted advisors. Uh, the, the Bible verses, of course, in your workbook and on the screen as well. This is something that I don't think we did as a couple soon enough. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some people, probably in this room, maybe you have a knack for finances. It's just kind of how your mind works. Or maybe you studied finances in school or you're in the finance industry. And you feel like, I have my head wrapped around this, so we're good. And others are like, I don't understand how any of this works. And I'm a little bit embarrassed. But I think there's great wisdom in finding people in your life that are godly. They're living according to God's teachings. 
they're gracious, they're generous, but they've really got some, some tools and some wisdom in various areas. So it could be, how do we actually live out a functioning budget? How do we think about investments? What do we do, think about saving up for our kids' college or weddings or whatever it would be? Uh, I, free pro tip, create a line in your budget for braces. I've spent over $18,000 on braces for my kids, and they don't even brush their teeth. It's just wrong. So find a group of financial team. It could be whoever it is that you trust and be humble enough and wise enough to seek their counsel as you begin your journey together, uh, planning for your financial future. Along those lines, if you want some tools, I'm a big fan of finding tools that make life easier for us. Um, If you want to use the um, Dave Ramsey, Ramsey Plus Suite, if you go to that domain at the top, you'll get a free code and you can have access to all those tools for free. Um, And I think most of them uh, work really, really well. Uh, Financial Peace University helps you kind of map out a Godward stewardship lifestyle. There's an app that you can use to plan out paying out your debt. The new app, the um, Every Dollar, actually if you let it, it'll sync with your banking account so that every month you can track, okay, we budgeted X for this category and we actually spent X, and it will reconcile that for you. Uh, In my experience, where budgeting breaks down is keeping track of it month over month, year over year. It can become just too tedious. So in the area of uh, trusted advisors and staying on top, um, if you'd like to use that, you certainly can. All right, next, number three, uh, know all the facts. So the idea here is it's very hard to make good decisions if you don't know the state of your finances. So at least four areas that you're going to want to have mapped out as you, as you get on the same page as this. So your assets, what do you have that's worth something? And if you're here and you have nothing worth anything, I totally understand. Um, so you've got, it could be investments, it could be your car, it could be a home, whatever your assets are and what are they worth. Of course, then debts. Uh, it could be school debt, could be a home debt, car debt, whatever it is, credit cards and so on and so forth. Third, spending, arguably one of the more important ones. Uh, no matter how amazing your budget is and no matter how amazing your tracking system is, if you overspend month over month, it's a problem. The budget will lose every single time. So what is it, how is it that you guys want to be spending what you have? And then lastly, this one's worth spending a little time on is get clear on the why behind all these categories. What, what is our motivation behind how we organize our finances? First, are we God-word and godly and how we think about our, our money? And then secondly, what are the values that are most important to us? And they can differ, and that's okay, but you gotta be on the same page with each other. So one of the things in, in our home, in Christine and I's home, unfortunately for me, I really like cars, and I really like to speed. Like, it's just amazing. Uh, In fact, I budget for tickets every year. No, not really. Uh, But at the same time, cars are horrible. They're like one of the worst investments you can make financially. They cost a ton of money. Then you got to insure them, and then you got to pay for the maintenance, and then you got to put fuel in the dumb thing to drive it. And then your 16-year-old daughter crashes it, and you start all over. So this whole idea of like, okay, how are we going to manage our money? Uh, What is the motivation behind these decisions? All right, next. Uh, number four, I think, yep, have a plan. So I came across a fun fact, uh, statistically speaking. So it, here it is. Generally speaking, if family incomes are the same, families with a plan save about two times as much as those without a plan. So if you had the Smiths and the Joneses and their income in their home was roughly 100 grand each, the family that has a plan for how they're going to spend their money will save on average twice as much as the other family. That's, that, to me, is a good argument for having a plan. So 
I'll just map this out quickly. I'm guessing most of you have at least some architecture of how to manage your money. If, as you get started, uh, and this is listed in your workbook, I added something at the top of the list because it wasn't in the workbook and I felt like the workbook was wrong, so I'm just calling them out right now. Uh, make a budget and then agree on your spending plan. At the end of the day, it really does kind of start there. And then after that, decide as a couple, and we'll talk about this at, at principle number eight, what is your giving plan? Start giving something. Now, people have all kinds of thoughts about, well, if I'm carrying $80,000 of student debt and another $15,000 in a vehicle debt, should I really give? Like, isn't it a better investment to pay off the debt instead of giving at the same time? I would argue that if you honor God by giving, you will see his hand on your life in his provision. It's a big, big deal. Uh, for me, tithing is about me acknowledging God as my provider and my protector. So when I tithe, I'm saying, God, I trust you that as I give you this 10%, you're going to make this 90% worth more than the 100%. That's how you're going to come through for me. And it keeps my heart anchored in the fact that God ultimately is my provider. It isn't my employer. And just because I work and get a check with my name on it doesn't mean it's actually my, my money. I steward the money God's given us. So start making a plan to give something. Um, save up something in your checking account. I would suggest a grand or more. And this is just so when incidental things come up, you're not using your credit card or as you get married, you're not calling dad or mom and saying, hey, I need another 100 bucks. So you've got, you become your own bank when you have a car problem or you have an opportunity or whatever it is. Then next, attack that debt. Debt's bad. Uh, you could talk to a financial advisor about how do you think about if I have a big loan and I'm only paying X low percent, but I can invest this money on the market and get back twice that. How do I think about those things? You'll have to make that decision. But I will say debt uh, is something you won't regret tackling right off the bat. Third, making an emergency fund. So the idea here is if you were to lose your job or if the economy takes a tank and you take a pay cut or whatever it is, um, you have some margin while you're looking for your next job so that all of a sudden you're not directly going to the credit card. Because getting out of credit card debt, it is, it, those, some of these rates should be criminal the way that that interest compounds. It is so hard to get out of uh, credit card debt. So maybe six months isn't realistic, but some kind of a, a landing pad that gives you some space and some margin, and then last, start saving for the future. So for those of you who are young, which is almost everybody in the room compared to me, uh, the sooner you can invest in your retirement, the better. Time is actually a better investment than money. So I opened my first Roth IRA when I was 18, and I just at 50 bucks a month is all I could afford, and I just keep putting it in. Well, 50 bucks a month when you're 18 versus 50 bucks a month when you're 48, night and day. So the sooner you guys can wrap your head around how are we going to make investments for the long term, you'll never regret starting sooner. And here's where I get frustrated with some youngins. They'll get right out of college or right out of whatever trade school. They go straight in. I've got a job now. Woo, I got an apartment. Woo, and I bought a $28,000 brand new car. Like, dude, buy a nice used car for 10 grand, put the rest of the money in your retirement, and you won't believe what that's going to be worth in 20 years. So start thinking about uh, saving for the future. So the idea here is just map out a plan. All right, I'm moving fast because I'm not going to be like John Christensen. Uh, basic number five, never compare yourself to others and advertisements, media, etc. So the idea here is contentment is key and comparison will kill you. So this is a funny saying. I don't know who said this, but I'll, I'll, take, I'll take it as mine next time I teach. Uh, we try to keep up with the Joneses, but when we finally catch up with them, they file for bankruptcy. Like there is just this thing in our culture where bigger home, better car, 
better clothes, better brands, the next iPhone. Like, I really don't know what the newest iPhone does that the previous one doesn't. I just know that I have to have it. Like, that's the culture that we live in. So be careful with the comparison game. I would also say be careful trying to compare yourself to others with regard to income capacity. Because when you level set this thing as believers, I think we believe that God actually ordains a plan for our life. That he designed us and created us with a specific mission on this earth. So if you're called by God to be an elementary school teacher, which in my opinion is a fantastic calling, you're never going to make $200,000 a year. I mean, if inflation stays the way it is, you'll make more. But you're not going to make bank money, but that's okay because you're walking in God. God's purpose for your life and the kingdom impact is a big deal versus if you're working in another arena maybe you'll make a lot of money so we can't look and compare ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ and say well I wish that or I wish this all we can do is lean into how God has wired us and what God's called us to do so don't compare yourself to others be aware of your vices what are your weaknesses never go to Costco if you're hungry and bored never <laughs> you will spend money on stuff that you get home like why did I buy this uh, because I was hungry. So, and the last thing with that is like be mindful about what subscriptions or who you follow on social media. Because here's what happens it just feeds it, right? So, if you're an avid hunter and you get 16 hunting magazines, all you do is look at all the new cool stuff that you could have. It, it's a temptation. I made the mistake of signing up for Sig Sauer, their, their weekly email. So, every week I get this email that shows me all their amazing new guns. As if I need one more gun. So, right, just be careful about what you're taking in because um, at the end of the day, it does kind of feed that idea of, hey, I need the next thing. I need the upgrade. Number six, uh, budget money for each person to spend. Um, this is a good one. So once you get to the point where you have said, okay, generally we understand our assets. We understand our debt. Now we're going to map out a budget. It comes down to spending. Well, you got to give each other some space with some discretionary funds. But you need to agree on discretionary funds. So my wife and I had a conversation recently about how this wasn't clear. Uh, in my mind, because the golf season is so short, there is an unlimited amount of money that can be spent on green fees. Uh, in her mind, it was like, well, no, I think we have to have a conversation about this. And I'm like, hey, I only spend when it's warm. Like, I don't golf in the winter. And then she says, yeah, but you, like, shoot bullets in the winter, and they're expensive too. So you have to get on the same page with regard to discretionary funding. Um, you don't have to give each other the same amount. It could be different amounts. But once you agree on that, each person gets 100 bucks a month or whatever the number is, then give each other liberty to do what they want with that money. I think some of the stuff she spends money on is just silly and goofy. Like, how many things can you buy at Hobby Lobby? It's just weird. And she thinks the fact that I chase a white ball around and come home mad is stupid. So... But it's our discretionary money, so we can do with it what we want. All right, next, number seven, don't let income determine your lifestyle. I think this uh, feeds back into the idea of not comparing. I think it also feeds back into the idea of whose values do you architect your finances around? Our culture's values or God's values? Because you'll run into uh, a pretty a big brick wall if you keep chasing what culture says uh, we should do with our money. So a couple um, encouragements from me to you on this front would be this. Uh, align your lifestyle with your values or more accurately align your lifestyle with God's values. If as a couple you can like say this is bedrock for us. However we architect and plan our finances, it's based on God's values, not mine or not our society's. It, it goes a long way. Build margin into your life. If there's been a handful of things that Christine and I have done really, really well, it's building margin into our lives. So, for example, 
when we bought our first townhome, our, our decision, this doesn't have to be your decision, was we knew we were going to have kids or we, I think we were already pregnant with a kid. Maybe we probably had a kid and well, not someone was on their way. Like we were just popping them out. So it was like, hey, when we buy this house, we want to be able to pay the bills with just one person's salary. Because we didn't want to put ourselves in a scenario where both of us had to work and then you just, you just get stuck with less options. That was our decision and God was good to us in that. So build margin into your budget. Have some plans with some space so that if your income goes down or you're temporarily out of work, you've got, a, a, you've got some runway to, to function. A couple of things maybe not to do. We talked about be careful about big purchases like homes. Uh, don't upgrade your lifestyle every time you get a raise. This is like an, a, an amazing American thing to do. Someone gets promoted, they get the big bonus, they go up to the next racket, they get a better job, and then all of a sudden, hey, we have an extra $1,000 a month income. Great. Well, then let's go get a bigger house because we can afford another $1,000. You can do that. I have nothing against really nice things, and if you have really nice things, I will come and use your nice things. I'm all about that. But just because your income goes up doesn't necessarily mean that you should have a massive lifestyle jump. And in America, those things get played out with investments that just don't make sense when you think about the long term. So be thinking about that. And then, as I mentioned, you'll have to decide how much money you want to waste on a car. And just have friends that have nice cars that you can borrow and don't crash them when you borrow them. Um, all right, last is uh, make a plan for giving. So, you know, if you said, Jim, I need you to prioritize these eight, like which, which ones actually are, I don't know if I could prioritize them specifically for each one, but I would definitely put this in the top two or three. Uh, and here's why. I think when it comes to being a follower of Christ, there's a handful of things that we have to wrap our carnal brains around because we're wired as human beings, as fallen human beings, to want to provide for ourselves and to protect ourselves. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And then we live in a culture that's all about upgrading and opulence. So how do we wrap our minds around what it looks like to honor Christ? So there's three things, and these verses are also in your books. Um, the first is this idea of stewardship, really letting it settle in that this money, though it's in my account and the check, the, the ch my paycheck has my name on it, as a follower of Christ, it isn't actually mine. But as a follower of Christ, if I will use these funds as a steward, God might do amazing things with these resources. Not only providing for our family, but making a kingdom impact. So in this verse, I think I've underlined a couple phrases that's really astonishing. Saying here, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. So God is the owner of all things. Both riches and honor come from God. So he is our provider, and there we, can, we can lean into that, and we can trust it. The other is that we don't need to give out a compulsion or a sense of guilt or shame, but we can do so cheerfully. I think that one's pretty straightforward. And then lastly, the one that candidly probably stings the most, and it might be uh, anti-American, dare I say, is what does it look like to give sacrificially? And, and, and this verse where Jesus is talking to his disciples and just completely calls out some of the wealthier people there. It says this, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting in their gifts into the offering box. And he saw the poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in than all of them. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty and put in all that she had to live on. And so she's commended by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for giving sacrificially. She gave relative to what she had. So at the end of the day, you guys okay over there? Okay, it's all good. Um, how much we give is less of an issue. It's more, what we're, how does what we're giving compare to what we have? 
That's the, that's the ratio that I think ultimately honors God. So what does it look like for us to give sacrificially and to do so with wisdom? So a couple final thoughts there that are on your screen. First, uh, be gen- uh, remember the stewardship, con- stewardship concept. So maybe think of it as you're a financial advisor or financial investor at a massive company. And you're imagining, you're, your fund that you're, you're responsible for, let's say, has $28 million dollars. And you're managing this money, but you know this is not my money. But at the end of the day, at the end of each quarter, at the end of every fiscal year, your boss is going to come and say, okay, we started the year at $28 million. Where are we at now? And if every year it goes down, 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 odds are you're in the wrong field and you're going to lose your job. But that person understands innately, okay, this isn't my money, but I want to manage it really well as it, though it is my money. And that's how we have to think about our finances, which is, which is a hard place to get sometimes. Be generous. As Jesus said, uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, tithing for my money. and huh, Nice pun, right? For my money. Uh, I think that tithing is both a massive blessing and a huge protection for our hearts. So one second. There it is, 25 minutes. I'm going to be done early. Um, I think tithing anchors our heart and our, our soul and our confidence in God's provision, and it's one of the ways that we activate our faith in the area of finances. So I was at a camp, a father, it was either with my daughter or my son, at camp out in California, and they were giving us fathers some coaching on parenting, and I needed a lot of it. And they were talking about uh, money, and they were talking about one of our responsibilities as parents is to help our children get to the point of 18-ish and be ready to manage their own resources. And in that journey, we need to help them see themselves as when I was younger, my parents provided for me. Now I'm at a point my parents are not going to provide for me. So it's either God's going to provide for me, that's my heart disposition, or I'm going to provide for me. And he said, if you can't help your children get to the point where they have put their confidence in God as their provider, they will feel financially insecure their whole lives. And I was like, wow, that's an, is that an overstatement? But I thought there could be some truth to that. If my kids get out of the house and they think it's always on them to come through for them, that's a bit intimidating, even if you're a capable person. But if your mindset is, no, 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 God's always going to come through for me. I'm going to honor God with what he's given me. That puts your heart and your soul in a completely different place. So for my, for my money and for my theology, I think that tithing not only is biblical, but it also protects us and it keeps our heart aligned rightly with God as our provider rather than us taking that seat and feeling the pressure sometimes uh, to make a provision that, that we just don't have the means. Um, former President Calvin Coolidge said this, no person was ever honored for what he received. He was honored for what he gave. That's pretty good. So lastly then on there, as you start your journey or if your journey continues to marriage, um, I would encourage you to start from the get-go along with your budget and how am I going to deal with debt and investments, make a plan on how you're going to give. Because here's what I normally see. Uh, young people get started. They're like, ooh, okay, well, we need to save up for a house and we need to get ahead of this debt. And then we got a kid coming. Those, those, those braces, they're going to cost something. We'll get to it soon. And then soon becomes later and later becomes a long time and a long time becomes years. And all of a sudden, you've set up a financial trajectory where it becomes really, really hard to give money. Versus from the get-go, if it's like, hey, this is just baked in to how we do finances, then no matter where your income goes over time, it's just part of how you do life. So I, I think sitting down with your, to be your significant other and talking about your giving plan on the front end is super, super important. All right, that's it. I am like two minutes under. 
Any questions? Yeah, you guys tell John. He needs to pull it together. Any questions? No questions? All right, then I'm going to take back my two minutes. Um, I'm going to give, this is how I budget my money, and you can use it or not use it. Maybe it's a bad idea. I got to the point, I used to track pre all these uh, tools that you have access to at the end of the month, reconciling what we spent and how that aligned with our budget. And it got to be super, super, super tedious. I'm like, I I can't keep up with this. I don't want to spend this time. I want to go golf. So how I do it is, Christine and I do it is, we have our major check, our massive checking account in which all our income comes in. Underneath that account, I have like 12 savings accounts. And I have my vehicle maintenance account, my replace my vehicle account, my vacation account, uh, my kids' sports account. I now have a save up for my daughter's wedding account. Like all these budget items that we're going to be saving for. And every single month, I have an auto withdraw that comes right out of my checking into these accounts. So at the end of the month, I have set aside every single one of those budgets. The checking account for us has to cover our mortgage, our food, our uh, uh, bills on the house, and a couple other small things like whatever, deodorant and whatnot. So at the end of the month, if our checking account is really close to zero and all those auto withdrawals have happened, I have effectively lived within the means of my budget within a couple percent every single month. Then when I have a car repair or I have a football season thing, I just go to that sub account and I transfer that money back up into the checking account. So when those bills are paid, everything continues to reconcile. So for our money, that's been a super simple way that guarantees that I know what I've been saving because I can pull it up right now and I can say, this is, I got like $1,880 in my car maintenance account, which means nothing is broken down in a while, which means within three months it'll be gone because all my cars are just going to start dying. But anyhow, That went really quickly, but if you want to explore that idea more, um, I'm happy to talk to you about it for what it's worth. Sir Travis, what's next? I think I have some discussion questions. There you go. I can leave them up there if you want to get after them. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me. My pleasure. And don't forget to give John a hard time, please. Yes. About what? Yep. Find a professional. Uh, so, yeah, I have a little bit. Um, I'm not a financial advisor. There's others in this room who probably are much better than I am. But a couple principal rules would be, one, I would encourage you always, you get a Roth IRA open as soon as you can and give as much as to it as you can as you possibly can. The one um, caveat to that would be if your employer does a matching fund thing with, like, your 401K or 304B or whatever they call them, uh, I would give to that to the degree that they match. So if they match 3%, give them 3 and then you give your three, they give three, that's 6%. Whatever else you're going to put, I would personally put in the Roth. And the reason is, when you start drawing from those accounts, your 401k, you're going to pay taxes when you pull it out. You pay taxes on the front end of your Roth. So if I put in $100,000 now, and when I retire, it's worth a million dollars, that million dollars in my Roth account, I pay no taxes on. That, to me, is a really big deal. So matching funds, uh, Roth IRA, and then you just have to kind of think through how you want to manage a portfolio on the market versus real estate. Uh, I wouldn't suggest putting money in mattresses uh, because if inflation continues to go the way it is, you're just going to have a bunch of paper worth nothing. But those are my first few quick thoughts. And then what I said, compounding interest. So time is more important than money. So 
the sooner you can start committing to that while you're young, you're going to see big dividends in your 40s and 50s. Most people don't get to putting away money, money until they're in their 40s and 50s, and then they only have 20 years for compound interest to be their friend versus you'd have 40 years for it to be your friend. Uh, that's where you're going to want to be. So those are general principles. If I've misspoken or I need to be corrected, uh, correct me because then I'm wrong and I might be losing money and that'd be bad too. So I'm over for time now. So... <laughs> so um, my oldest is a saver. My second, my daughter, my second oldest, Alyssa, is a spender's spender. Like, it's bad. Like, she'll go work. It, never, it blows my mind. She would work at Chick-fil-A for like a meager whatever, right, $12 an hour. And before she'd get home, she'd buy like a latte somewhere and something else and spend like $14. And I'm like, you work for over an hour and you just blew that on the way home. And she's like, I don't care. That's what I want. I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, James, on the other hand, is super frugal. So anyhow, um, he, he is Navy ROTC, so the Navy pays for his, his tuition. Uh, he went to FAFSA, applied for some grants, and he got some grants. And they're cash money grants. It's like eight grand or something on the year. And, and this was his quote. Dad, I think I can max out my IRA this year. Like, that, that, that's a different kind of mindset for a 20-year-old. Um, and I think I need to lean into that because when I'm about 85, I want that money because my money will be gone. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah.